Hi guys, welcome back to my podcast. I have not been recording in months, um, mostly due to the fact that, um, you know, fun time, seasonal depression. I get it really bad in December and I really don't have the ability to recover from it for a good long time. I finally feel like I'm getting back to where I don't come home from work and immediately just want to go to sleep. So that's an improvement. And anyone out there who also struggles with seasonal depression, you know the vibe. (laughs) Um, Yes, now that the days are getting longer, I'm having more energy and hopefully will be more consistent with this podcast. I know every episode I have ever recorded has said that, (laughs) but I mean it this time. I really do. Okay. So last time you heard from me, we were doing Halloween stuff. Um, and now it's February. <laughs> Got a few life updates for you. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on. And then we will get into the topic of today. If you are not interested in hearing a life update, then I would suggest skipping to 25 minutes into the episode. I don't talk about my seasonal depression with a lot of people because I feel like everyone gets it. But uh, for me, it really just manifests in my energy levels. Like I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like going out and socializing. I just want to come home, snuggle up in a blanket, watch my TV and just fade away into the darkness. And this year I decided to kind of embrace it. Okay, let me explain. Let me explain. That sounds bad. I'm not embracing depression, but more what my body is telling me I need during that time. So I do force myself to go to the gym at least three times a week uh, during the winter time. I try to do things to keep me active past five o'clock so that I'm not wasting my life, but I don't push myself to do too many things is what I mean. So I will watch like homey movies and I will drink delicious hot coffee and have soups and cuddle up in blankets and embrace the kind of like hook up part of seasonal depression to not make it something that I have a negative mindset towards is kind of what I do. And so as much as I enjoy doing this podcast and as much as I enjoy doing other hobbies, when I don't have the energy to do it, I don't force myself to do it. I only force myself to do the things that in the long run will benefit me. So food, exercise, and connecting with my loved ones is kind of just where I put that focus. (laughs) So now that I'm back, um, Grim is pretty much my focus right now uh, because she's overweight. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures. If you look at the cover photo of this podcast, that's my chubby cat and she has gotten so much chubbier. She is a chunk. And so I'm trying to put her on a diet and that has been a hassle. I came home the other day and she had eaten, she'd gotten into her catnip crunchy treats and had eaten a month's worth of treats while I was at work because she doesn't like that I'm portion controlling and also um, not giving her junk when she eats her meals. And she just really wants a crunchy, dirty, gross treat more than she would want anything that is nutritious and balanced. So um, it's a struggle. Although I have noticed that her energy levels are up Um, no, she doesn't like it and she complains all the time. And, um, I don't feel bad because I have really indulged her this year, which is why she's chunky and, um, I gotta stop. So, you know, diet life for her. And I've noticed something that is really like bothering me. So as much as she is dieting, I'm not dieting, but I am increasing my uh, time at the gym and my workout schedule. I'm trying to get back into the shape that I was last spring when I started this podcast. Like, oh my God, I was always going to the gym. I felt amazing. I had so much better energy and I felt like my skin looked better. So that's what I'm trying to get back to. And in January, the gym was like almost no one was ever there. It was great. And I was like, well, where is the people? That, you know, doing the new year, new me 
kind of mindset. I feel like it's every year I try to avoid the gym in January and I didn't have to. There was like no one. And then the second February hit, everyone is at the gym. Why did they delay? I'm so confused. Like, did they get the memo that everyone was going to start in January? So they thought I'm going to avoid the January rush and go and start in February to try to like get more out of my gym time. And then everyone thought that. And so now everyone started in February. I'm not sure what it is. Or maybe like there was a bunch of breakups and people are trying to get endorphins because it's like January's breakup month after Christmas. And like, if you don't want to continue the relationship, it's better to break up in January so that you're not breaking up right before Valentine's Day. I'm not sure. But either way, um, I had like no ability to do anything at the gym on a Saturday afternoon, which is usually when people have like done their morning gym and they go and enjoy their Saturday. It was just packed. Everyone was in there and I've never seen it that packed since yeah January of last year so um yeah frustrating because I'm just trying to use the parts of the gym that I like I like to use the the benches and the free weights I like to use the smith's machine I like to use the pole machine whatever that's called you know where like it, it has like the tension the poles and all those different settings those are the ones that I like to use and it's also the ones that everyone else focuses on it's like it seems like people my age prefer those areas. And because of that, I have no one, they hog it. They they do their entire workout in one machine and it, they take like two hours to finish their routine, which by the way, why? Like you can use other areas. You don't need to be whatever, you know what? <laughs> you do you, I'm not going to judge. But at the same time, allow other people to use those areas. Like you're, you're hogging those areas. So lately I've been forced to be like in the area where it's the single use machines, which aren't bad because I am trying to nurse a rotator cuff injury. So not having pressure on my shoulder actually is technically better, but I hate using those machines. It makes me feel like I'm a baby and it makes me feel like, or like I'm really old because a lot of, um, of the elderly will use those machines to make sure they're maintaining proper form instead of using free weights. But I like to use the free weights. I feel like I get more out of it and I'm able to, um, work on my form better by using the free weights. Anyway, I just don't like it. And it makes me upset that I have to like walk back and forth and try again and try again and try again just to get a bench, just to get just one bench. Like it's dumb. (sighs) If you're one of those people, be considerate. Like don't spend your entire routine in that one area, not letting anyone else have a chance. Like good God. Or the people who are using multiple areas and they will mark it with like their water bottle or their gym bag and they'll go back and forth. And so you never have a chance to use it because they're claiming it, but they're also using like six different areas in the gym. Like that's also super rude. And I, I, I hate those people. I kind of want to like kick their water bottles when I see them. Like what's wrong with you? Like why? Mm. If you're going to do a superset, do it in one area. I would actually prefer that you hog one area than six. So bring over whatever weights that you need in that area and superset next to the place that you are using. If you're using the Smith's machine, get a free weight with you, superset there. That's how I view it. I think that that is a better use of your time anyway. And you're not annoying me, which is the main point here. Stop annoying me. That's how I feel about it. Okay, you're annoying and I will kick your water bottle. So just be aware if you go to the gym with me, you see me and you're one of those people utilizing more than one area in a set and you're super setting in one area like, bro, I'm going to kick your water bottle. Passive aggressive, but not actually violent. So I feel like you better watch out. So this month I am focusing on improving the unhealthy habits that I have, um, which is kind of like a new year, new me mindset without having to focus it only on what I'm doing at the gym. I'm trying to uh, not let myself absentmindedly just like drop trash on the counters or on the table or in my bag. I, I am a hoarder of receipts. I just like I go shopping and I put the receipt in my purse 
expecting, I don't know what I'm going to expect, like I'm going to do with that receipt because I never look at it. I guess like if I have to return something, it's good, but I never really do because I plan out what I'm going to get before I go shopping and I plan out the price. So I just have like months worth of receipts in every purse and I have multiple purses. So I just have like all these receipts in there for no reason. And I'm trying to be more mindful about what I do when like I open a box of like like a hamburger helper or whatever like food product and like if a a part of the cardboard comes off I normally would just like put it on the counter and think about how I'm going to deal with that after dinner I'm trying to be more mindful about little tags and and so forth and put them in a bag instead of just leaving them on the counter or leaving the receipts in my purse and letting them pile up um that's one focus I'm doing I'm also focusing on oh uh, my tv time I noticed that in the wintertime, I have the TV on way more than any other time of year. And I just don't like how it feels like an addiction to me. I don't like that I can go season after season of the Kardashians um, without even thinking about it. While I'm also like scrolling TikTok or I am on Instagram. Like I just feel like I have other things I could be doing that don't involve um, streaming. So I'm cutting down on streaming time and instead putting in something else that will stimulate stimulate my brain but it isn't you know like making Netflix ask me <laughs> isn't uh having Netflix asking me if I'm still watching is basically my goal that's like I don't want Netflix to be like um maybe you should do something else after I've watched how many episodes of, of Gilmore Girls right so I'm trying to replace that time now with listening to music. So if I'm cleaning, normally I'll, I'll turn on the TV so it sounds like I have someone else in my house and I'm like able to like um, feel like, because I'm an extrovert. So it feels like I'm socializing, right? I'm trying to replace that with music. And so I have a record player. I have right now I'm listening to the Dirty Dancing uh, soundtrack as I clean, which is really fun. Or I'll put on Halsey. I have her record. Or I'm also um, trying to set up a routine in the morning instead of turning on the TV and putting on a YouTube video of someone's like morning routine or whatever, or a cleaning video, which I am obsessed with. I love cleaning videos on YouTube. If you've never seen one, that and the TV show Hoarders will get you in the mood to clean your house so fast. Like almost immediately, you're going to be like, I need to clean. It's great for that, but I often just like play one after another in the morning and that's not healthy. And so I'm trying to... Um, put in a routine of music that I listen to. And I made this playlist where I have um, just motivational music that I find makes me feel better about myself, including the Snoop Dogg affirmation song, which I know is for kids. But honestly, those affirmations are important for all of us to use. So I'm listening to it every day and trying to do affirmations with him. Affirmations with Snoop Dogg. Hell yeah. But um, I'm also listening to a lot of, I've noticed... Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and um, Doja Cat seems to be my vibe this year. So that's that and the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Halsey, I throw in if I I feel like I need to be a little bit angry at someone, which I don't feel like I'm angry at anyone. But every now and then, you just got to feel like you're angry. It gets you going. Speaking of the Kardashians, so this is random. I'm sorry, but I have been uh, going back to earlier seasons of the Kardashians. Um... (laughs) at nighttime when I just want to feel like I'm having a conversation with someone I put them on and they're hilarious early seasons are really weird have you guys like gone back to like earlier seasons of reality tv shows because the environment has changed drastically I feel like in the last five years um I guess like eight years more like it used to be reality tv shows if you've noticed they were way more authentic Like they would do their own makeup and you could tell. And like, it's so weird to look at the Kardashians now compared to then because like they would wear colored eyeshadow. Like Khloe Kardashian and Kim Kardashian used to wear periwinkle blue eyeshadow. I'm so weirded out by that. And then like, if you look at Kourtney Kardashian now, she's very well put together, sleek hair. But in earlier, (laughs) earlier seasons of the Kardashians, she had like ratty hair like she it looked like she didn't even brush it it was crazy and I feel like nowadays with reality tv shows including like the real housewives they're way more put together and it's less realistic whereas earlier seasons if you go even go back 
to like the earlier seasons of like the real housewives of Atlanta or New York, it felt more authentic to real life, like walking into like a day, day-to-day life of any human being. Whereas now they really put in more effort to get glam and to have their hair done and to have like wardrobes picked out. It's just a little less real and it it feels more fake now if you look at the the, the new Kardashian show. So yeah. Um I don't know. It's just it was a weird feeling to look at Kim Kardashian and be like, why are you wearing blue eyeshadow? I don't remember you ever wearing blue eyeshadow. Is this real? Why is your why are your eyelashes looking so chunky? Why why is your eyeshadow like falling out on your your cheeks? It's so weird to see. So yeah, I I kind of miss that honestly, seeing like realistic people on TV on my real reality TV. And yet there is some charm to seeing some a perfect world. Maybe it's it's unhealthy of me to think this way, but I like to watch the more recent uh, like seasons of the Kardashians and the Real Housewives because they do have this element of being put together, having their house put together, um, and it inspires me to like to put more effort into my life. So maybe there's a downside for other people, but for me, it honestly makes me go, you know what? I kind of want to do my hair today. I'd like to wear something other than sweatpants today. I'd like to have my house look a little bit cleaner and more organized because I see it and it inspires me. So I think it's okay. And I'm not going to stop anytime soon. All right, we're going to move on to movie recommendations. So I love February. I watch a lot of rom-coms in February and I hold off on certain shows um, earlier. I hold off on watching uh, these certain movies any other time of year just because like I feel like they're special for Valentine's Day. I am a fan of Valentine's Day. I call it Valentine's Day whether or not I have someone to celebrate it with because I love love. Um, The whole Galentine's trend is fine for other people but I embrace platonic love the same way I would romantic love and there's so many different variations of that that I encompass in it so for me Valentine's Day is actually a really great holiday it's one of my favorites and I get excited for it um movies that I like to watch specifically this time of year are movies like Pretty in Pink um 16 Candles sometimes but honestly that's kind of a weird movie I don't recommend anyone really give it a deep watch it's something you have to like put in the background because it is a crazy show um ever after oh my god guys drew barrymore the 90s the 90s rom-coms let's just like snaps for the 90s they had really good stuff simply irresistible that's a underrated classic i love that one honestly anything with julia roberts in it (laughs) oh the wedding planner absolutely you have to watch that in february the wedding planner is like one of the best rom-coms that was ever made in my opinion very eh, well I feel bad for them because it is kind of a cheating story but maybe I take that back no it is it no it's a good movie I like it I'm going to recommend some movies that you might not think to watch this time of year that you can do if you're going to do a galentine's thing for um valentine's day obviously there's like any rom-com on the planet will do right for a galentine's day party but I really like these two movies for different reasons. So if you're kind of like a goofy group or if you like to make fun of 1980s movies or if you're looking for something that no one else would think to watch, I highly recommend you watch the movie Earth Girls Are Easy. (laughs) This movie has young Jeff Goldblum, young Jim Carrey, and uh, a couple other uh, young actors who are now very famous. And it's about these aliens that come to earth looking for pretty women and they end up falling into a swimming pool of a girl that lives in California who is dealing with her cheating fiance and like they have to be disguised because they look really really alien and like almost like furry anyway it's funny it's weird it's kind of romantic and Jeff Goldblum is really hot in it so I recommend it it's somewhat of a musical which is like 
laughable in a way. It, it's a musical, but it's not. And it's a it's a rom-com, but it's all, it's mostly a comedy and it's really wacky. It's really weird. Um, I loved a love story in it personally. And even though the whole time you're like, what the hell is this movie? By the end of it, you're kind of rooting for a certain outcome and you're kind of like, come on, do it. So I think that would be fun if you have a group of girls who are a little bit silly. I recommend that movie. If you're looking for something a little bit more romantic um, and less on the silly side, I like to watch Mystic Pizza this time of year. It's a early Julia Roberts 1980s film, and it deals with different kinds of romantic scenarios in a lobster fishing town in Connecticut. And, you know, you get a pizza, get some wine, watch Mystic Pizza, and have a good Galentine's. I think that it's it's worth a watch. It's not serious, but also really cute and kind of displays a Catholic Christian town dealing with all sorts of different mindsets. The movie itself centers around, um, if you've never seen it, three young girls who work at this Portuguese pizza place called Mystic Pizza. And one girl is dealing with um, a failed marriage, like married attempt, like her, her wedding didn't, like she fainted at her wedding. And so like, she's still technically engaged to this guy, but she doesn't know if she wants to get married. Um, a girl who doesn't feel like she can really amount to anything, but she's super sexy. That's Julia Roberts character and how she uses her sexuality and her flirtatiousness to kind of get ahead, which is frowned upon in her town because it's a Portuguese Catholic town. And like, she's just seen as kind of slutty by our terms nowadays, not really, but like in that, like in the eighties, yeah, it was seen that way. And then the youngest character who also works at Mystic Pizza with them is like the perfect character. Like she's saving up to go to Yale and she's super smart and she works five jobs and she applies to be a babysitter for this Yale graduate young father whose wife is out of town. And something racy kind of happens with them and it has really good character development and I just feel like it has the vibes for Valentine's Day. So I recommend those two movies. Some movies that you might not have thought of to incorporate this time of year. I recommend them. I think they're fun. All right. I feel like I have sufficiently wasted your time long enough <laughs> with my bullshit. So we're going to get into the topic of today, which is talking about how when you are dealing with another individual in your life in a romantic relationship, you're not just dealing with their conscious self. You have to also be in love with and romance their subconscious self, which is very often called their inner child. So let's talk about the psychological concept and theory behind this. And then I'm going to give you four phrases that is going to hijack that override that sometimes the inner child can do in your relationship and bring the anxiety down and bring the safety level up, bring down that barrier that sometimes can come up and um, kind of make you feel distant from your partner and bring you closer, which I feel like we all are trying to do, honestly, in any relationship. So let's get into it. The very first thing that I want to say in regards to this is actually a kind of a a warning or caveat or disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. That's a good word for it. Is I don't want anyone approaching this podcast as a professional advice podcast um, because I'm not a professional in this field. I'm just interested in it and I read about it and I apply it into my life. And because I like the results that I get out of it, um, I would like other people to have the opportunity to use it too. So with that, um, I would rather you approach this podcast uh, as someone who is a non-biased party or a friend or um, a really cool auntie who has some advice for you. And I use professional advice to back what I feel and how I approach things. So that's all I want to say about that before we get started. If you want actual professional advice, please seek out a professional. Cool. So 
That being said, (laughs) I'm going to tell you what you need to be doing in my personal opinion to further your relationship and bring you closer to your partner uh, through some psychological hacks. Um, Step one in understanding what I'm talking about today is we have to understand the psychology of our partner's base fears and um, vulnerable parts in order to create that emotional intimacy with them. In general, I love you does great things to bring you closer, but usually it's not enough. Like after a while, it can just become something that you say to your partner on the phone or before they leave. And like, it's nice, but you could do more to bring yourself emotionally close to your partner. There is more you could be doing to reassure, to comfort, and make your partner feel safe with you, which believe it or not, adults need that feeling too. It's not just something that we need to provide for our kids or for um, people who are in a new, like, fledging relationship. It's an ongoing thing. And maybe if, like, we were all born in the safe bubble of a very secure, attached relationship with our parents and nothing in our lives prior to the relationship had caused any of us, any, any of us, Um, traumas or insecurities, maybe these wouldn't be needed, but that's not the reality we live in. And your partner has traumas and they have, it has, (laughs) they have um, different life experiences from you that you might not even know or understand yet. So it's important to remember um, a few things about your partner in order to create that emotional intimacy. Many of us in this world had parents that couldn't show up the way that we needed or didn't know how to show up for us because they are different people as well that cause all sorts of issues. And that's just outside of the the other terrible things that could happen to young adults and children that cause traumas and abuse and neglect and insecure treatments that shape so many people. And we date these people. They become our partners. You might have had a secure upbringing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your partner has. And that's what's important to remember when you're thinking, but I know that I love my partner and I know that I feel secure in the relationship. We've been together for years. We have emotional intimacy, but they might understand that in a, in an adult brain, a logical part of their brain might understand that, but because of their past because of their past, they might not feel that security. And um, that has a lot to do with the way that the brain functions with memories. Okay. Has anyone here heard of the theory of the inner child? This will make way more sense uh, when we kind of delve into that theory and this idea that inside our brains, there is a younger version of ourselves that is still living through the scary traumas that we had as a kid in our current adult bodies. Crazy, right? So this theory is your inner child is uh, just a part of your subconscious and that has been picking up messages your entire life, like from the day you were born. And instead of just processing through those things and letting it go, it holds on to those emotions that we had in those moments and keeps them inside of our brain and inside of our bodies. And these memories um, also hold beliefs that are attached to that past that are associated to those emotions that we have. So memories, emotion, and beliefs all in one. In that part of our subconscious, there is also just like hopes and dreams for the future being projected. So when we have like our hopes and dreams of the future, also it on it kind it makes sense because when you're a kid, you have like these ideas of what your future is going to look like, and it's a positive thing most of the time, but it can be a negative thing as well. And we have emotions attached to those futures that we put into our imagination and as a kid many of us like decided like we were going to be doctors or we we're going to be ballerinas or we were going to be 
um, some sort of astronaut or whatever and had like this concept of what that would feel like. That is the same thing going inside of our heads as adults. It never changes. So you can kind of think about the inner child being a, uh, what they describe as a semi-independent su- uh, subpersonality that is subordinate to our waking conscious mind. So what we have in our subconscious, we would look at as like a subpersonality. And honestly, those of us who have a very complicated relationship with our inner child can feel almost a shift in who we are naturally when we come across an emotion or a trigger that pulls us back into that, that um, adolescent mind of not feeling safe and not feeling loved or not feeling whatever that emotion we attach that trigger to, it does feel like another part of us inside takes over, right? Many of us can can relate to that feeling at some level. Um, I mean, just thinking about public speaking, how many adults on this planet fear public speaking? Not because the act in and of itself is scary because we all talk, right? In general, we have conversations and that that's not a scary feeling, but getting up in front of people we might have had experiences as a child either projected onto us from adults feeling scared about it and then we associate that with a scary feeling or maybe we got laughed at when we were a kid at school for stumbling over a word or not being as fast of a reader as the other kids in school and so we associate that feeling of shame and nervousness and embarrassment with a current experience because the brain, the stuff. The subconscious brain and our bodies don't understand passage of time. We can still live in those moments. It doesn't matter that you had that experience when you were in fourth grade. You could be living that experience again in these moments. And that is why it is so important that as a person who is in a partnership with another human being who has lived a completely different walk of life from us, need to make more conscious efforts to speak to the inner child of our partner. See where I'm going with this? I hope you do. So where does the inner child live? Let's go into the neuroscience of things. This is actually uh, really fascinating for me personally, just because I love neuroscience. Um, I think you would also at least like to know. Like, Wouldn't you like to know where, where the inner child lives? According to Alan Shore, the right upfrontal holds the internal working models that are unconscious, right? Which holds deep emotional beliefs about how safe we are and how safe other people are to us, whether we can trust others, uh, whether we will get our needs met by that person. And it also triggers the feelings of vulnerability and core shame where we believe either fundamentally we are unlovable or lovable. And the right brain is largely formed from experiences in the first five years of our life. That is why we call it the inner child. Okay, so it's the right brain. So what's interesting about this right brain, other than the fact that it is where the inner child lived, is it also is considered to be completely uh, contradictory in its impulses. Like it does not matter that we feel in our left brain that we are safe. If you've ever been in a car accident, (laughs) you have this feeling of, oh my God, I could be getting in a car accident right now and like there's no cars on the road but you could still it's like it's contradictory it also can give us emotional impulses to attach or continually seek out love from people who are unavailable to us it can make us more prone to running away from our responsibilities even though our left brain might have set a goal for us that day it's that the left the left side might have made a list of things to do on your saturday but your bright right brain says you know it's saturday we should just watch tv Okay, so you can kind of think about this in situations that your partner might find triggering. Bringing back to that idea of like what makes them lovable or unlovable or what has made them feel abandoned in the past or might made them feel at least insecure in their relationship. And learning more and having these conversations about your partner will obviously help a lot with you being able to recognize when you might be triggering your partner and help you to remember to verbalize a lot more on how you feel about them or how the situation is with them. Understanding that the the inner child has hijacked their adult brain and brought into a scenario where they're, they're 
honestly believing in that moment that the scenario that I felt when I was a child is happening right now. I mean, doesn't that just make you feel like way more empathetic towards the mistakes and the shortcomings of your partner if you imagine them doing that as a child? Like, hello, baby. It is grim. Are you liking your diet? Oh, I'm so glad you hear it. She's so much happier. I wish that she would stop eating things like ribbons and trying to <laughs> trying to steal a month's worth of treats. Like, you could be so much happier, Graham, if you were just like letting it go and live this diet with me. I'm making good choices for you. I promise. Okay, now she she wants to ignore me. Cool. Back on track of what we're actually talking about. When your partner is in the state of like going over uh, what could go wrong based on what has happened in the past or what they might think is happening right now. This is often called being in a dysregulated state and um, is one of the main reasons why myself personally in the last years have gotten um, help with my emotional regulation because I have had very poor regulation skills up to this point in my adult life and I wanted to be healthier with that and so I started using apps and identifying triggers and identifying where I might get dysregulated and calling it out by what it is and doing my own inner work to help myself get regulated but how much easier would that be in my relationship if I had a partner that also was recognizing my triggers and verbalizing with me that the situation that my body is feeling from a past memory from my inner child is not what's happening here and that I'm safe god that would oh that would be so like amazing I would love it Uh, I I think I mentioned last year in one episode I, I talked about how I had to put in place um the person that I wanted to be with in my own head that was a, a regulation tactic that I used where I held myself on the bed while I was feeling dysregulated. And I, I told myself, I'm safe, I'm loved, that it's going to be okay, nothing bad's going to happen. And it worked, but oh man, would it have been so much better if someone else was doing it with me? That is that is the goal, I feel like, in my relationships. And I just hope that I can project that out into the world that more people will help their partner regulate their emotions. Now, I do want to be clear about this, and I'm not saying that it is your responsibility to regulate your partner. It is 100% your partner's job uh, to figure out what their triggers are and to find out when they are in a dysregulated state and get back into regulation. That is their job. You're not responsible for anyone else's reactions to your actions, period. Like I'm very, like, I want to point that out and make that very clear. It's not what I'm saying. However, (laughs) we are responsible for being a safe space for our partners. And we do need to be understanding and conscious of how our own actions can and will set off an emotional memory in their bodies. And they will have their own inner child hijack their brain. That that will happen. Just expect it. Whether it comes out in an emotional outburst of crying or maybe they get defensive or maybe they get angry, they shut down and they're stonewalling. There are so many different ways that our body reacts and to our inner child taking over that you just got to accept that you're going to do something, whether you're having a bad day, you did it intentionally or you did it unintentionally, it's going to happen. And we can take control about how much that affects them, if that makes sense. Okay. We're not responsible, but we can help. Yeah. I, I just feel like we need to be more aware of the space we take up in someone's vulnerable state, you know, like when they are opening up their vulnerability to us. And that is our job as a partner in the relationship is to take up that space. We need to be very sure, like this is where abuse can come in. This is where people who are narcissistic or sociopathic will take that space and use it to manipulate someone. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. It's more of a being there to help in that space, not control. So let's be clear on that as well. And I also think it's important to remember that you're going to mess up. It's okay, though. Like, don't make that into like, oh, no, I messed up. I need to leave the relationship. I'm not the right person to be. No, we're all messing up. We're all having bad days. It's normal to do that. But what's important is to have made enough investments in the relationship that when 
the inner child comes out on your partner and you were not a safe space for them at that moment, they can still come back and trust you. That's, I think that is another key thing to keep in mind here. So when I thought about this and I was brainstorming, well, what would make me feel safe? And what would I love to do for my partner? Um, I came up with four different phrases and I also uh, pulled on my Instagram to see what other people might have like their partner to have said to them and what is important to say emotionally that's outside of those three words, I love you. So I compiled them and created um, four phrases and I try to identify the root reason why I think that they're effective. So let's do that really quickly. I'm going to go one by one and then I'm going to tell you why I think they're effective. First one, I think this one's really cute. It's, I'm so lucky. Like, wow. This is one of those phrases that makes me want to just melt when people say that to me. Like, it takes you out of that negative mindset you might have had about, you know, who you are or how people see you or if they're like, if you have abandonment issues or if you're just really just not in a good regulated state. If someone looks at you, your partner looks at you and says that they're lucky. My significant other felt like they were lucky to be with me. I would right away feel like they were seeing me for who I am and what makes me special. And that person is someone I want to be close to. It, it like almost encourages that vulnerable state become much wider, much like more open to you. So I think that's a good one. And obviously all of these phrases you can paraphrase or use or insert into different times and different ways that work for your relationship. These are more just kind of like, you know, little keys that you can use. And I, I love that one. I don't think it's said enough. Obviously say it when you mean it because <laughs> everyone knows when you're, you're bullshitting, honestly. But if you said this honestly, God, like, oh, so cute. All right, next one. This one, I think, should be the one that we all never expected but need to hear. We never expected to hear but need to hear. And that is, you were safe with me. Have you ever thought to say that to your partner? Did you just assume that they would know? That they would just feel it? Okay, sure, maybe. But, bro, if, like, my significant other could see that I was in a dysregulated state, they knew that I was triggered... And they know where my brain goes. You can see the anxiousness in my, my face. If you said you were safe with me, like this is your moment, guys. This is where you can be the knight in shining armor to your partner. Now, obviously, you don't want to like use it randomly when they're not in a dysregulated state, like over morning coffee where you reach over and you're like, you're safe with me. Because that can come off a little bit like, what are you hiding? Like, are you... Like a serial killer? Is this Joe from you? Like what's going on here? That's not the mood. I I think this is more in when you really can tell that your significant other is feeling triggered and having some negative or dysregulated thoughts. And like often you can tell by their reaction. I think it's very important for people who stonewall or who are, you can tell they're withholding an emotion from you um, as well as people who might have a more detached style of dealing with hard emotions i think this phrase like if like imagine like your partner stonewalling you which is also known as being like giving you the cold shoulder and you come up and you're like i can tell something's bothering you you're safe with me you can tell me what it is we can talk about this whatever it is how like non-confrontational is that how safe that feels god like more people need to do this why are we not doing this we all take offense to someone else's reactions to what we do and get defensive because our inner child is taking over, right? We we have past experiences where we didn't feel heard and we didn't feel seen. But what if we were able to logically override that and instead approach this with such a loving um, approach to it? I think it's brilliant. I think we all need to use this more. The next one, I think honestly could be used every day. And I think it should be used every day. And you should find opportunities to say this every day. Like, period. Um, I don't care if this sounds like I'm overstepping in your relationship. You should find a way to say this every day. Okay? This is it. That little thing you did, insert little thing that you saw they did here, that thing you did was huge for me. That was a big deal that you did that. Thank you. Boom. Do you know how loved they would feel? Like, that? you don't have to say I love you. Like You could obviously say that little thing you did for me right there that was huge for me 
thank you. I love you so much. I'm so lucky to have you. You could like mix that together with a bunch of other things. This phrase is so effective because it shows that the, that first of all, you notice what they did, especially if you're one of those people that acts like, you know, well, they should do it anyway. They should art. It's bare minimum. Like they took the trash out. Well, you know what? We both live here. They should just do it. Like, yeah, sure. But didn't it matter to you that they did something? Like regardless if it is bare minimum, recognizing those little things of them picking up trash off the floor or, you know, fluffing a pillow or (laughs) calling you on their lunch break. Like those little things that they, they took time to do that you appreciate. Say it. What are you waiting for? You're wasting time having a negative experience thinking, well, they should just do it anyway. That's bare minimum. Well, okay, fine. Well, then you can have a negative thought about it or you could progress your relationship. It's up to you. I mean, this is only going to like provide you with an opportunity to psychologically reinforce that you want your partner in your life and that their space means something to you, that that the space they are taking up in your life has meaning and that they really do show up for you. Like this is a proven psychological tactic to use on all humans. You don't even need to just do this with your spouse. You can do this with your friends. You could do it with your kids. You could do it with your coworkers. This is something that really does bond you to people. It's like, I personally feel like these kind of statements that you use is like the opposite of nagging. You know how when a wife or even sometimes a husband is like, you don't do enough for me. You don't do that thing that like, I, I keep asking you to not leave your towel on the, on the bathroom floor. I, I hate it when you leave your, your towel on the bathroom floor. You're only reinforcing a negative thing when you are nagging. This is the opposite of that, which is reinforcing a positive thing that you do want them to continue to do. Use this high, guys, use this psychological hack. Like it's just going to make your life better and you're going to feel better about yourself because you're not constantly pointing out your partner's flaws. Okay. Okay, this last one I think is a little, <laughs> okay, it's cheesy, but it's Valentine's Day, so I can be as cheesy as I want. And that is the phrase, I like you just the way you are. And I used like purposefully in this sentence. I didn't want to use love because some like and love has different feelings. And love is great and love is perfect and love is undying, whatever you want to say about love and it's great. But liking someone is additional to the love. And I feel like the like and the love being together, kind of like uh, Leslie Nope from uh, Parks and Recs, <laughs> Park and, oh my God, Parks and Rec. <laughs> when they, um, when Leslie Nope gets married, they say, I like you and I love you. It really, they are different feelings and they complement each other. So saying to your partner, any time of day or night, <laughs> like if personally, if someone said this to me, I would feel so loved regardless of the fact that they said I liked you. And it makes me feel seen as their partner and that I'm truly accepted for all my faults because they like me just the way I am. Nothing needs to change. There's no but after this sentence and don't add a but after this sentence. Oh God, please don't do that. It's not, I like you just the way you are, but no, no, no. That's it. Stop there. I don't think this is a revolutionary statement by any means, but therein is the problem. It is the little things that we feel and don't say to our partners, which, you know, our partners might not know that we think of because they have a very different past experience about these things than we do. And so we assume because our past experiences are in a very secure area of those spots of, you know, our relationship of how we feel about another person. How we feel about another person is this very secure thing because that's something we control, right? But we can't control how that person feels about us. And so this reinforces a very positive thing of, no, 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 regardless of what your child, your inner child says about how I feel about you, I am telling you the honest truth that I like you just the way you are. You just hijack that. You just, you just cut off that inner child trying to run a rampage in your partner's brain about how you secretly don't like them the way they are because they leave a dirty towel on the bathroom floor. It's, it's not revolutionary, but it somehow is. The concept that two realities can exist at once and you're using that knowledge with your partner who as sh- studies show that 80% of human thought on a daily basis is negative self-thought. 
you're helping with that narrative in their head about who they are, how they see what they look like, and how you are in their life. This is like, it's a great positive influence that we can show them this and it will grow that intimate level of your emotional intimacy so much more and grow it intentionally, which I think is the important part here. Taking more of a conscious stance in your relationship so that you are not being a passive bystander within the inner dynamics of your emotional intimacy. Consciously making the effort to think these phrases and to find places to put them into your life and to purposely use them is going to make a huge impact on your relationship. I promise you that. Honestly, like I, I, like I said earlier, I recommend using them daily. These phrases are great. And also, if you feel like you can improve on them, please do. And let me know if you find something that is even better to say than what I wrote. I would love to hear about it because I also am trying to improve my relationships. I'm not perfect. I will be the first one to admit that. But that doesn't mean that I don't have something to say. And I feel the same way about everyone else in my life. If you have something to say and you think it's great, tell me. I want to hear it. I promise you I will give you a great reaction because I love to hear different perspectives. I do believe that two realities can exist at once. And I do believe that my experiences aren't the only valid experiences or the only correct way to do things. So please reach out to me. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So if you're walking away from what I just said, like, oh my God, this is so corny. This is something that like, oh, what people do in like the honeymoon stage of the relationship. This is just like, once you're established, you don't have to do this work. Once you've, you've been in a relationship for years, the person knows that you're a safe space. You don't need to constantly, whoa, hold up. No, I'm going to stop you right there. You need to be doing this because you don't know what they're thinking, right? And on top of that, what exactly is wrong with extending the honeymoon stage of a relationship. Why would you not want that? Like, I don't, I don't get what the pushback is on being in a lovey-dovey state with your partner. I think, isn't that the goal? Okay, I think I've babbled enough in this episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful Valentine's Day and I will see you as soon as I can uh, find time in my day to do another episode. I've got some great ideas uh, planned out for you, so... Remember to stay present. Remember two realities can exist at once. And uh, the brain is an interesting place. So don't forget to learn about it. Have a good day. Bye.